My grandfather was an incredible ears, nose, and throat surgeon. He was one of the first graduating medical classes uh, of NYU in 1921. He did surgery till he was 80 and practiced medicine four days a week till he was 95 and a half, and then lived another 10 years till he was 105 and a half. So um, he and my grandmother, yeah, he and my grandmother, who was a dietitian, and he trained her to be an anesthesiologist. They took out my tonsils in the hospital room um, in their home in Brooklyn. Their home in Brooklyn had a consultation room, it had uh, an operating room, it had a treatment room, and they had twelve pediatric beds for recovery. So I really um, was surrounded by medicine. My father was a doctor. My mom was a nurse. So science came very naturally to me, and it was something I was always very interested in. But I knew I didn't want to go to medical school. And nutrition, um, not many people are aware of this, to be, but to become a dietitian, it's basically a pre-med degree undergraduate, and you have to do a clinical internship uh, and take board exams. So it's pretty rigorous training. Um, and I wouldn't train it for the, I wouldn't train it for the world. It was really an amazing experience to go through. Wow. It sounds like you almost like you were in, molded in this environment where it was kind of just became part of your existence because everybody around you was basically in health and wellness, um, for, like on a regular basis. So you were seeing it all the time. Yeah. But you know, it's funny. I have two older brothers and neither of them is into medicine at all. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really have to have an interest and an affinity for it. Yeah. I guess it probably just stoked the fire that you already had inside you mm -hmm. maybe for it, you know, mm -hmm. with that. How do you see nutrition and wellness in today's society? What is your kind of overall opinion of that? And then we'll kind of go down a little bit deeper for that. You know, it's our society is deeply disconcerting to me. There's only 12% of our population that's metabolically healthy. And um, it's an economic issue. It's a social issue. And there's just, it's a political issue because we are the only country that puts the uh, profits of companies ahead of the health of its citizens. So we have all these food companies um manufacturing, you know, seriously junky foods, if not toxic foods for, uh, with, you know, extensive television, uh, advertising targeted at children. We have, uh, a lot of our food is genetically modified in, and in this country, you know, we kind of allowed that to happen. We're poisoning our people, which is making a lot of people fat and sick. So you couple that with, you know, just using like junk food sweeteners, like high fructose corn syrup, you know, there's, there's a lot of 
um, wrongs that are happening in our food supply. And unless you're an educated consumer and have, you know, a fairly decent budget to spend on food, you know, you, you really are in trouble in my opinion. And we see this, you know, I started out in the early part of my career, um, working in the WIC programs and you really see the high cost of obesity. Um, and it's kind of a vicious cycle because, when people live in food deserts where there's not a lot of health food options or they don't have a lot of money to spend on food, then, you know, uh, poorer choices, more convenient choices are made that are less healthy. And then, you know, people and generations beneath them grew up unhealthy and obese. And it's, it's a huge cost to our healthcare system. So the way I see, you know, wellness right now, it's like, it's more important than ever. We need to really understand how to eat real food, like shopping on the outer aisles of the grocery store. The inner aisles are salt and sugar. The outer aisles as well, the produce is and the fresh meats um, and potatoes and sweet potatoes. Uh, and we need to understand, you know, basics like how to read food labels and decipher all the claims that are not true. <laughs> like right. you buy a bottle of water and it says fat-free, no cholesterol. It's like it never had these things. So that we need to be able to to really be educated and eat just simple, real whole foods. So how do we get on track to do better at this when it feels like we're in an age of tremendous disinformation out there? Mm, truer words were never spoken. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to be a downer, you know. But No, this is the age of disinformation. You know, you really need to work with um, a health professional, you know, and, and there are, I'm an out of network dietitian, um, but there are plenty of in network dietitians that are covered under insurance that can educate you on what real food is. And I don't believe everything in moderation. I think, um, we have to go back to the basics, the, the food grab pyramid, I would assume it is not going to make you anything but fat and sick and unhealthy. I would go back to the basics uh, of my food pyramid, which is vegetables and fruits at the bottom, then proteins like chicken, fish, turkey, meat, eggs, dairy, if you tolerate it, um, and then starches like potatoes, sweet potatoes, rice, quinoa, uh, winter squashes, plantains, like uh, beans and legumes, and then fats like olive oil, coconut oil, butter, olives, avocados, nuts and seeds. That's kind of your real food guide. Um, I do have, though, I have four books out, Darian, and the first one's called Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous. And uh, you you can get for a couple bucks on Amazon at this point. It came out in 2007, but it still sells like hotcakes. So um, I would even start there if you don't know what real foods are and, and want to learn more about it. That's just a great nutrition 101. Uh, it's great. I think it's the, the more accurate information we can get is better. Um, but I wonder what you think about what the kind of the hot topics are, which looks to be like plant-based eating and carnivore-based eating. What are your opinions about that? I don't think there's any one diet for everyone. It's really metabolically right. individual. Um, I think 
My first question is always the sustainability. You know, I, I think carnivore works really well for some people, but again, when you're omitting entire food groups, I'm really not down with that. Um, it's the yep, same with yep. keto. Like I never have had a single client on keto uh, and they still get results. Like you don't have to go to that those extremes. And often the super low carb diets, especially for women, tend to really crash their thyroid and adrenals. So, um, and people get sick of it. You know, they're like, I don't actually want to eat all this fat all the time. I want to, you know, I'm not enjoying <laughs> it. And I'm seeing a lot of people doing keto and then getting fatty livers. So, and then I have to like swing the pendulum the other way and clean it up with a plant-based diet for a while before we can return to paleo. So, um, you know, I, I think there has to be balance. I, I have some clients that are truly so reactive. They're so, um, they have one, if not more than one autoimmune condition, and they're extremely reactive to gluten and dairy. I have other clients that can eat whatever they want and have zero effect in any of it. <clears throat> and like, don't, you know, they'll still lose weight eating, you know, tuna fish sandwiches. So it's really individual for everybody. Um, which is why it helps to work with a practitioner. Some people are very intuitive and say, okay, I know, you know, I know I need to get protein at every meal. I know I need carbs, you know, one to three times a day. Mm -hmm. And I know I need to eat every four to five hours. But other people, you know, I've made clients who were either like force fed as kids, like you have to finish your plate or you can't right. leave the table right? Or they were eating disorder, had disordered relationships with food. So you kind of have to get people attuned to whether or not they're even hungry or what they even feel like eating because they haven't, you know, they've unlearned their natural intuition when it comes to eating. So there's so many different people I see um, and so many different treatments that I, or conditions that I treat. And so everyone's really different. You know, I I treat like a lot of stubborn constipation cases and that's like a very specific way of eating and we try many different things. So it's a journey, I guess is what I would say. <laughs> Most definitely. diets are, what? Most definitely. But I think like people sometimes create this identity based around their food. So they say yeah. that I am plant-based and it becomes their entire life is based around being plant-based or carnivore or whatever. So then they get this dug in psychology and this uh, status related to their eating, you know? Yes. And we see that, you know, I see it in the vegan community and I see it in the carnivore community and mm -hmm. uh, it's very polarizing. And I, you know, listen, this is an attention economy, right? So people, the more polarizing you are, the more extreme followers you're going to have. But I wonder how many of those followers are, are truly following that carnivore diet for six months, 12 months, two years, four years. Some people really are and live that way, but I feel like those are the exception rather than the rule. And so I, you know, I don't want to put smoke and mirrors up and say, oh yes, this is the best diet in the world because everyone's different. I mean, I remember when I was just personally speaking, when I was writing Cave Women Don't Get Fat, which is a paleo diet book for women, I had to be on a vegan diet for like six months to heal up some really awful viral chronic issues I was having. So <laughs> and Man. then eventually I went back to paleo, but it was like, 
you know what? Like, it's so humbling. It was the best experience. It was so humbling to just say, you know what? I surrender to my healing process and not, I, I'm, I've never been like a, I'm hardcore paleo. I am this, I am that. I just kind of, you know, I'm an omnivore, that's for sure. But, um, but it's, we all do what we have to do. And the best gift you can give yourself, I think, is to just make peace with it. And you, mm. you know, it really, like you're eating maybe what you do. It doesn't mean it's who you are, per se. Ooh, well um, said. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't care if you're a vegan or you're a carnivore. I will still love you and we can be friends. And it doesn't have to be this huge political issue. <laughs> it doesn't have to be weaponized and politicized. It can just be just enjoy your food and do you do you. And that's cool. You know, why has it become that issue though? In, in your mind where it's kind of like, it's weird how it parallels politics. It's kind of like us versus them. I'm eating this way. You're eating that way. I'm going to judge you for eating this way. Wh wh where does that come from? I think it goes back to the age of disinformation. Um, there's a lot of disinformation on both sides about plant-based versus meat eaters. Um, there's a really great book by the dietitian Diana Rogers, and it's all about the benefits of, um, I'm going to look it up while I'm talking. It's all about the benefits of red meat and how red meat is actually really crucial to our planet and to our agricultural system and how our agriculture will collapse if we don't eat red meat. It's called secret cow. That's it. Okay. And it also talks about how, um, you know, we're not increasing our red meat any more than we were 30 years ago. Consumption has not increased. What has increased is our consumption of um, plant-based foods and plant-based foods are not without, they're not perfect either. Like, Pea protein can really destroy our earth and so will soy. Soy is horrible for the environment and for earth. So, you know, you have to see both sides of every story. There's not one ill on, you know, it, there's, you really have to look at both sides of the story. I'm not articulating well. It's okay. But. No, I understand. Yeah. It's kind of like too, like there's, it's not like a zero some game in the sense of like, well, in plant-based eating that there's no harm done to anything. Right. There is That's harm it. done as well. And it's, it's, but if we don't talk about both sides of the equation, then people are not getting the actual whole story of the information from the ethics of doing things to the production, mm -hmm. those things. I think we need to have a full picture of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day, the good thing of all of this is I feel like people are really understanding the importance of getting back to the land and growing local and um, growing their own food. That's the safest way to do it. If you buy, you know, good organic non-GMO seeds and you use, you know, organic soil and compost and fertilize, like you're going to have really nutritious food that just tastes delicious. It's cost effective um, it's, it's one, and you don't have to have a huge garden. We just have a couple of raised beds around our house and that's it. We keep it really simple. And then we supplement from farmer's markets or local markets. And, you know, it 
whatever you can do, people are having their own chickens now. Like that's a big deal. Like I think, you know, we're, we're returning to smaller, more local movements. And I think that's really something great to come out of this. I agree completely. But you talked about a little bit about working with uh, WIC programs and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. How does that environment get changed? Because that seems like it's just a cycle, a repeat of um, continued impoverished living and lack of access to quality food. Yes. And it was almost, it wasn't WIC, but I think it was SNAP that was going to be cut. Um, okay. The funding was going to be cut and that's, you know, access to kids' lunches. It, it is, it's a vicious cycle of poverty and being stuck eating, you know, low quality foods. And um, I don't have an answer to that. It was really um, the most heartbreaking piece of my career was in that environment because I felt very helpless. And, um, I don't think I made a big difference. I'll be totally honest. I, I struggled with it for a long time after. And the best thing I can do, I think the best way to make a difference is I just give money directly to charities that, um, feed hungry kids, you know, and that's kind of how I work around it, you know, help them get nutritious lunches in school I think it has to be a policy change from the government level as understanding. And this speaks to not only impoverished people, but the education that needs to come into um, health insurance uh, through, through health insurance companies, education through our schools. Um, I think it needs to, I just had a train, a thought about that. Um, it, it definitely, it's, it's got to have a big policy makeover and we have to understand that like school lunches are really important. Um, when you look at school lunches in Europe or Asia, they don't have the crap that we have in our food. I mean, we have like, I don't think we have dyes anymore, but it's just really low quality food. It's not nutritious. And I think kids here are just so brainwashed and customized, uh, accustomed to eating uh, junk food, that it's really hard to undo it once it's in. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think all of us can remember growing up, um, a lot of people can remember growing up eating school lunch, and it's mm-hmm. a pretty nasty stuff, honestly. I know some mm-hmm. of it may, I, I mean, I think some of the things I liked, but now looking back at it, I was like, man, why were they giving this stuff to us? It's because it's cheap. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, if you want to eat, if you want to live a long life, you've got to eat foods with a short shelf life. And, you know, the, the foods that we were served as kids, I mean, I remember getting like terrible stomach aches after like, they called Mm. it mock pizza. It was like meat and some awful tasting cheese on top of an English muffin. And it was so gross. (laughs) I always had the worst Yeah. And like tacos, everything was just brown and tan. It was really, and then in eighth grade, I ate like chocolate chip cookies and chocolate milk or like processed cheese and crackers or these bologna sandwiches on white bread. I mean, and chocolate milk. It was all so gross. I don't know how I even grew or developed bones, but um, I also think, you know, we need to have people of color teaching people of color. I don't think a white woman going in who has no children teaching a class on breastfeeding 
to a woman from Haiti is going to make it, you know, and that was also a big gap. It was like people need to see their own color, educating them, their own culture that they connect to, someone who speaks the language, someone who eats the same way they do. I think that is a big disconnect is not, is like there's racial gaps and that I think if we can get more people of color, educating more people of color, that will also change the system. Wow. That's a great idea. Really. I mean, as, as a black male for myself, I know that I've been very influenced by many amazing black males in my life. My father, coaches I've had in athletics and things. I, I agree. I think it's incredibly important. And I think it's something that we kind of don't think about as a larger society. And especially with food, I think we forget the cultural context of food and how powerful that is. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, (laughs) there's you, you to like not even address that and to teach someone from another country about, okay, well, this is our food guy pyramid. Like they, it doesn't even make sense. (laughs) It's ridiculous. So yeah, you, you, we have to have more ambassadors who, you know, and I, I think it's, it's a really complicated problem, but I don't think it's unsolvable, but you know, if we don't start investing in just the food that our people are eating, it's, I mean, we're pretty far gone right now with obesity. It's bad. I think it's like one in three. So obese yeah. right Yeah, 42% of the U.S. population. And then I think if you take obesity and uh, overweight, I mean, you're in like the high 60s or something. Like, that's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's so unacceptable. Like, it's, it is. Go to Europe. Like, they don't have those things. They're not eating GMO foods. They are sitting down at mealtimes and properly enjoying meals. Like no one walks around eating. No one's like sitting on their phone the whole time. It's like a sensual, proper experience where you go home for lunch and you sit and have a proper meal and you digest and you relax. And then you go back to work. It's a whole different quality of life. Here, you know, we eat my clients are scarfing down their meals at their desk. They're or on a screen the whole time. And they're just like flying by the sea of their pants. They're so depleted, you know, and then heating up a pizza for dinner or pasta. Like it's not, we're not investing. Like the whole system is so, um, there isn't enough structure in around quality of meals around the joy of cooking around family time Uh, together. There's a, it's a real, you know, it's a real systemic issue. And I think I feel terrible for people in the pandemic right now. Like that's a whole nother. (laughs) That's a whole nother deal, Esther. I mean, a whole nother deal. And you know, a lot of of people have really gained a lot of weight. They're just eating their feelings. It's so stressful. It's so stressful. I can't deny it. Do you think that like, I think like there's, there's been some things like when I was growing up, like in high school, I took like home ec, like I learned how to cook in high school in class. That was like a big thing back in the, at least for me in the nine, early nineties. And I'm I'm sure it was in the eighties, 
And I feel like like people don't know how to cook anymore because they can just get something through DoorDash or Postmates or Uber Eats and stuff. Like there's they don't like most people I know don't know how to cook really. Yeah. That's correct. Uh, that's correct. And it's interesting, you know, one side of my family, they're out in California and like they get into fights over Thanksgiving every year because no one knows how to cook. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> like I'm, I, I'm my East Coast family. They're all cooks. Like ever, even yeah. my son, you know, we, we sent him to a, a culinary camp for 10 days, like a sleepaway camp. And he, he learned how to like roll dough and fry up onions and garlic and you know like he makes paninis and he makes omelets and he makes smoothies and just even some basic foundational things it's the, the, there needs to be a life skills class right home act right we did cooking we did sewing which yeah. oh lord help me that was, that was a disaster <laughs> but um but like you know balancing a checkbook and mm-hmm. giving a speech like public speaking you, you know there does need to be a reinstating of like basic life skills not just like keyboard skills but cooking will literally save your life if you know how to cook because you won't use in um inflammatory oils like commercial foods use a lot of seed oils like canola oil and sunflower oil and yeah. all of these oils which are really toxic and not and and pro-inflammatory um so if you're just using good quality olive oil and butter and you're getting it even if it's not perfectly organic and grass-fed all the time if you're just getting like real produce, chicken breast, some ground meat, some fish. And then even if you're using like frozen vegetables and you heat up a simple bag of rice just with some water or broth, like that is healthy, nutritious, economical. You're not getting all the salt and the sugar and the flour or the seed oils that like any commercial kitchen will throw into their food. So you have so much more control. You have control over your calories and your portion sizes too. You know, often a takeout meal or a, a meal out is really enough for two portions. So you can really save your life by cooking and not to mention stick to a really simple budget, which is nice. You could get a can of beans for a dollar, you know, it's super bag of dried beans for a dollar. It's super cheap, but healthy. Most definitely. It's, but that cooking thing I feels like a real issue because a real issue. It, it's like a real problem. It's like so many, there was like this tradition growing up of like people passing down cooking uh, certain meals and learning from one person to the next. And it's just like, we're forgetting how to take care of ourselves in yeah. some weird way. And it's like really disturbing because it's so simple and cooking is there's a lot of joy in cooking. I love cooking. I'm the main cooker in my house and I enjoy it. I actually just enjoy the process and listen to some music, have a glass of wine. It's like a whole thing for me, putting it together. And I think you're missing out on actual fun, joyful, almost meditative experience. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and listen, I mean, not every meal is going to be this, <laughs> no, this no. pollutant experience, right? But yeah, I mean, even if you cook, I tell my clients, I'm like, if you can just make like a pan of potatoes or sweet potatoes and like a pot of rice and you like roast a chicken and make some burgers and then you just make a simple salad like that. If You don't have to cook more than a couple times a week and then you just have a leftovers and it's just simple and nutritious or 
you know, roasted chicken is one of the most versatile foods because you can have it hot out of the oven. Then you can have like, the, um, you know, make it into a chicken salad or you pull the meat off the bones and chop it up and make chicken tacos. Or you can, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's such a versatile food, for example. So you can get creative. I like to get creative with the leftovers, quite honestly. I think that's more fun than the meals themselves. Yeah, I think it's it's just it's just so interesting watching kind of the decline of cooking. And I mm-hmm. think it's just a large part of the problem is just like, well, I'm just going to order out. I'm not saying that's not fun to do and all those things, but it, I don't think it can be constantly part of your your deal, you know, for that. But you know, I wanted to transition a little bit because I know you talk about hormones, and maybe that's not something that's discussed as much in these large conversations. But talk to me a little bit about the role of hormones in nutrition. Mm. Well, nutrition seriously impacts your hormones because nutrition also impacts your gut. So um, most people don't realize that a lot of our hormones and particularly our neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine are made in the gut. Um, That's step one. Step two is if you don't have a healthy gut and poop every day, You're not detoxing your hormones like estrogen. You need to poop every day to detox estrogen, progesterone. Isn't that a problem for a lot of people? They're not pooping regularly? Yes. I'm amazed and shocked at some of the stories I hear. Like people literally poop one to two times a week at most. At most. Yes. These are my clients. These are the people I'm eating. Mm-hmm. It's not, for some people, it's a very quick fix. For other people, it's very complicated. Um, But, you know, hormones are vastly affected by your diet. If I'll just keep it simple. I won't even get into the mechanics of all of it and all the biochemistry. I'll just give the take-home tips, which are these. If you eat real food (laughs) and you eat adequate protein that will enable detoxification to take place in your colon and your liver, you will have a much better hormone balance. If you are eating a lot of pro-inflammatory oils like potato chips and um, fries and breaded and fried food, you're going to have a lot more inflammation. Um, If you're eating a lot of gluten, you're going to have much higher estrogen levels than you should, even in men. I see men with high estrogen levels. Um, Mm. And you also want to make sure that, you know, you're eating a lot of vegetables. 50% of your plate should be vegetables. It can be cooked. They can be raw. They can be roasted, steamed, sautés. They could be a, a soup. But we need vegetables to also support the liver where detoxification takes place. Detoxification takes place in the liver takes place in the colon, takes place in your skin when you sweat. But your liver and your colon are where your hormones are detoxed. So you need to make sure, especially if you're on any kind of hormone replacement, that you're pooping, that you're sweating, that you're moving, that you manage your stress, that you're chewing and digesting your food and you chew slowly because digestion takes place, it starts in the mouth, not in the stomach. So all of these things we need in place to have healthy hormones. The other thing is, you know, nutrition 
doesn't just take place in our diets. It takes place in the form of our thoughts. And we can have mm. all the vitamins and the most perfect diet in the world. But if you don't manage your stress and you're constantly surrounding yourself with people who are negative in your life, um, who don't inspire you, versus like people who inspire you, who you show you, you know, role models in your life, people you want to be like, people you want to learn from, you know, if, if you're not tending to your thoughts and your brain and curating positive psychology and um, learning to solve problems in your life and learning to manage your stress, you will also tank your hormones and your adrenals. And this is what I see the most commonly um, yes. happening on my hormone tests is very poor stress management, insomnia, and no gas in the tank. No gas, like no, no progesterone or estrogen, like levels that go very, very low. Um, and low testosterone, low libido, right? And so we end up, I end up having to give hormone replacement therapy to get people like up and running again. But I tell them, this is not a magic bullet. If you don't manage your stress, if you don't start sleeping before two o'clock in the morning, nothing will fix this. Mm. Okay. And I have a lot of clients that like to go to bed between 12 and two. And I'm like, no, your body oh. does the most healing, the most repairing, Best production of growth hormone is between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Or if you're a night shift worker, it's between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. But you got to get good sleep. You got to front load your sleep and manage your stress with just some meditation. Like my favorite app is the Insight Timer app. Uh, and just simple breathing. It's like, it's not hard. We can all, we all have 10 minutes at night to breathe. and relax and clear our minds. And that is, you know, no diet in the world will fix your mental stress. You've got to really manage your mental stress. Completely. You know what? This is, I've been sounding this alarm for years being in the business. It's like, I think we're going to find out that stress in the form of, you know, people you're around in your life, negativity is, is the great monster that is destroying all the other aspects completely. Because we always want to look at it as like, you know, physical activity, exercise, nutrition, which are obviously all very important. We seem to put the stress part on the back burner, but it's actually one of the largest things out there that's causing us a lot of our problems. Yeah. It is. It absolutely is. And it's, um, you know, I have a client now who's um, type two diabetic and, she could easily lose a hundred pounds and, um, her blood sugar got controlled very quickly. I had her get a continuous glucose monitor and she went on metformin and she cleaned up her diet beautifully, but she's not losing weight. And she ke keeps saying to me, why aren't I losing weight? I said, are you going to bed before two in the morning? No. So she's lost a couple pounds here and there. And I say, when are, what was your sleep like the week you lost those couple pounds? Well, I went to bed at midnight. I said, there's your answer until you, mm. you know, balance out the response. And listen, it's tough, right? Because your kids are home during COVID. 
So her time to get work done is in the evenings. But I was like, something's got to give somewhere. If you want to lose this weight, you know, even 20 pounds, like you've got to go to her body responds so beautifully. I said, you're lucky. Like all you got to do is get to bed earlier. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like most people have to like kill themselves to lose, you know, but yeah. so it's that important. It really is. If your cortisol, if you're not sleeping well and your cortisol is off and you're not making uh, serotonin and you're not making melatonin, um, because you have to have serotonin in order to make melatonin. If those things aren't happening, it's going to be really hard for you to lose body fat. So Most definitely. Stress, yeah. So, and your muffin top will turn into a cake top. So you want to make cake, sure, cake top. <laughs> you know, like stress management starts from the weight loss starts from the top down. It really yes. does. Yes. And I think it's so important actually, uh, you know, your episode's coming out next week and I have another episode coming out on the same day and it's with a sleep specialist. So I'm stacking this on top of each other so Beautiful. that people recognize the importance that sleep is absolutely critical. And I think the more research that happens about sleep and we learn about it, it may be the foundation for almost all these things in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, those are the hardest things for people to change, right? Is nobody wants to be told like, oh, I have to go to bed earlier. <laughs> You're like a child people, again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for some people, that's a real loss because that's their creative time or that's a time when they get their second wind. But I always say, if you go to bed earlier, you can wake up earlier. You can train your body to be more productive or creative in the morning. And for some people now it's more challenging, but you have to decide what your priorities are at that point. Yeah, most definitely. I think the sleep thing's hard too. I mean, a lot of my clients, I've talked to them about that and some of them just refuse to go to sleep, you know, earlier. They're like, no, I'm going to stay up to three, four in the morning. I'm like, okay. I mean, listen, I told you and <laughs> you do with it what you want, but here's the deal. You know, well, exactly. And, and the best thing you can do is really just mirror it back. You know, yes. when things aren't going the way they wanted, okay, well, what steps have you done to, to get there? So the onus is on them. And, and for a lot of people, it's really a process. It's not overnight. It takes time to like work through these. It's an incredible amount of time, I think. And the hard thing is doing the work for a lot of people doing the work. It's just hard. Anything that's good in life requires work and consistency and dedication. And that, I think sometimes our society has kind of created a, a weird situation with that because everything is like Amazon now, Prime now, get things very quickly. I want satisfaction now. Give it to me now. And, and we're kind of losing that sense of, we got to work a while for something to get to where we want to be. It can be difficult if that's your approach, you know. I think that's why people are going so nuts in the pandemic because they're having to learn patience. And like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. things, seriously, things are not running quickly. But, you know, for our parents' generation, this would be very normal. Like, you just have yeah. to wait. Remember before, uh, <laughs> before call waiting was a thing? Like, when you had oh, to, yeah. when you, made a phone call. If the line was busy, you had to wait till someone was off the line. That was just how it was. And so, right. It's, you know, but, but a great question is, or something I often discuss with my 
clients is asking them, what are you willing to give up in order to get what you want? Because to get what you want, you are going to have to give something up. So for example, if you want to grow your business, right, you might have to give up staying up late because you need sleep to actually function. Or if you want to lose weight, you might have to give up drinking or, um, you know, eating really late at night because that is, again, not helping your cause. So you really have, or for some people, it's just self-limiting beliefs that they have to give up or, um, you know, internalizing messaging they heard as a child that they couldn't do something. But it's, it's a great question to ask is what are you willing to give up? Because if you do, Tony Robbins always says, right, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. It's true. So you need to understand that if you're going to have these results, in my case for clients, it's weight loss most of the time and hormone balance. That means you've got to commit to, you know, you've got to commit to dialing down the stress and dialing up the self-care. Well said. Well said. I got to tell you, Esther, I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. I like how you put things together. And I feel like, you know, anytime I talk to colleagues of mine, I'm like, yes, we know, we know. We got to get everybody else to get this together. Why is this not happening? You know, I know it would be nice. Strength is definitely in numbers versus, um, you know, versus doing it on your own one at a time, for sure, for sure. But yeah, definitely. I know we have, we've got to get like health leaders in the political arena because I don't know how else to make changes. It's really, uh, or you, or everyone just has to decentralize their own movements and say, we're not waiting for the government to make us healthy. We're going to do this on our own. And that that is what I see more and more is just kind of underground. Um, the, The other thing I will just say, regarding health is medicine is, I just did an Instagram live on this yesterday. I have many clients who I prescribe hormones to, or I recommend hormones to based on the result of their tests. And they go to the doctor and the doctor says, I am not prescribing you these. These are dangerous. One of my clients needed testosterone. She said, you're going to start to grow facial hair and all these side effects. I said, first of all, you're a woman. Do you know how much testosterone you would need to take for that to happen? Second of all, I sent her six studies to take to her doctor to show the benefits. But third of all, Go find a new doctor. If your doctor, the other way you make change happen with your health, especially is if your doctor isn't listening to you or they're gaslighting you or they're telling you you're fine, you don't need any of that, and you have the test to prove you do, go find a new doctor. Like it's just that simple. And that's how we get, that's how you get change to happen also. It's like grow some of your own food, you know, take care of your body naturally, like, not everything you need is going to be government approved. <laughs> Just be no. practical and realistic uh, in your, you know, and hire a good healthcare professional to like really oversee your health and you'll be so much better for it. Totally. Totally. I, I don't think that we can rely on the government to provide these sweeping health, wellness, phys- fitness, nutritional aspects. I mean, it's just a slow moving machine. It can't get a lot of things done. I mean, we have to help ourselves. And as you said, decentralize aspects of it. It's just, 
Because if we don't, we know where we're headed. We're already in a massive, massive epidemic. And I actually would say obesity is going to be the next pandemic. It's just a slower moving. It's like a glacier. But it's coming. It's the next big pandemic down the line. And the projections are so scary for obesity. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy the projections mm-hmm. in the future, and it ain't slowing down either. That's the weird mm-hmm. part. Not, it's not being dented. So mm-hmm. we've got we've to make some changes and hopefully conversations like this and passing them along to other people mm-hmm. can be very important to others for mm-hmm. that. So Esther, thank you so much for being on the program today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Darian. You got it. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.